Welcome back to this week's episode of the Rock and Roll Ghost Podcast. This week we have Glenn Fittich, brand ambassador and whiskey expert Kevin Canchola, who's uh, here today talking about Glenn Fittich's uh, Grand Corone, uh, or however uh, you pronounce it. Um, <laughs> we were just discussing discussing that. It's a uh, 26-year-old whiskey uh, that's... Uh, from what I'm reading here, matured in American and European oak casts at the uh, Glenfinch Distillery in Dufftown, Scotland. So, uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great, Brett. You know, thanks for having me. Happy to be oh, here no, and talk about whiskey. No problem. Uh, where Where are you at today? I'm uh, born and raised and based out of Chicago. Okay, so you're you're in in Chicago today. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Excellent. Yeah, I noticed you had a lot of uh, Chicago places in your um, in your past, and then you worked for some place uh, in Miami for a bit before joining Glenn Fittich. What uh, what drove you first to to uh, work with Glenn Fittich? And what what was the 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 uh, the opportunity that arose, and what drove you to to take the job? Man, Brett, those are those are two different stories. I mean, you know, being a brand ambassador uh, is kind of uh, like being a storyteller at the same time. So I hope I don't bore anyone. But uh, it all started about uh, I'd say about eight years ago. Uh, I was working at a whiskey bar in Chicago that no longer exists. It was a terrific whiskey bar. We were sought after by every top whiskey, American, Scottish, or otherwise, to be on our back bar. So we had tastings all the time. And uh, I went into a tasting one day, and in fact, the bottle behind one of the bottles behind me, the Glenfiddich 12, uh, was brought to us for a tasting. And um, I enjoyed scotch. I was uh, more I, of an. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kevin. I apologize. And then, sure. uh, hold on one second. Let's check something. So you cut out when you started talking about working at the whiskey bar. I apologize. Uh-oh. If we can. Yeah, you just froze. So um, sorry about that. No, no, no. I could be could be on my end. I'm not sure. Um, so just in case we lost anything, if you could just kind of go over. Yeah, no problem. You got the whiskey bar, and it was much sought after. So yeah, about eight years ago, I was working at a top whiskey bar in Chicago, and uh, we had tastings all the time. And one of the tastings that I attended had the Glenfiddich 12. And uh, I enjoyed scotch at the time, not as much as I do today, but I was more of an American whiskey drinker. And one thing about single malts that I found and that I looked for actually is in a lot of the sherry influenced whiskeys, meaning a lot of single malt scotch spends time in Spanish oak that previously held sherry. Um, some, most of the time, there's some subtle, at least subtle unpleasantries it's either on the aroma or on the flavor and uh, a lot of scotch drinkers just power through it because there's too many good flavors in there as well and in fact uh, the guy who writes the whiskey bible every year um, Jim Murray talks about he has his heavily sherry influenced whiskeys right before lunch so he can cleanse his palate right after so I always look for you know what I, I just want to explore the whiskey and when I tasted Glenfiddich 12 it was a light bulb moment for me it was the first you know sherry influenced whiskey or spanish oak influenced whiskey that had zero uh negative aspects to it i enjoyed the dram from beginning to end and that always stuck with me um to fast forward a bit to i want to say it was 2019 as you said i was living in miami and working for another single malt scotch 
uh, had no idea what we were getting into. I had no idea there was a pandemic around the corner. But um, I had a, a girlfriend who had missed her family back home. She wanted to be closer to home, and and she was looking for jobs. And a friend had told me, they said, you know, Glenn Fittick may be looking for an ambassador in Chicago and Miami. So I applied openly to both. I love Miami. Miami's a beautiful city and great time. But but there's nothing, there's no place quite like home. So I, it felt to me like a bit of a happenstance, you know, here's a brand that has sat well with you for almost 10 years that you've loved and they're giving you an opportunity to move home and represent them. And I, I jumped, I literally jumped at the opportunity. Yeah. Okay. And what is it, what, what can you tell us about what a brand ambassador actually does? Brett, I get this question all the time <laughs> at whiskey fests, at events. How do I get your job? How do I get your job? It's, it's quite simple. Um, just have a background in the spirits for at least 10 years. Um, and that can be many things that could be bartending. That could be on the marketing side. That could be a distribution, but you got to have knowledge with it. You should study spirits at some point. Um, if you take a look at my coffee table right now, I got about six books on whiskey and I've read through them all, but there's still points of reference for me. Um, so the education is, is important. Okay. Um, and definitely be able to, uh, to entertain. I'm, I'm constantly out and about whether I'm in front of bartenders or, or consumers, you know, or people of the media, people like yourself, you know, we're, we're constantly having these conversations and, and, uh, I like to say preaching the whiskey gospel. Um, my, my Instagram handle is the whiskey cleric for a reason, because I feel like ambassadors are, you know, much like clerics. We preach the whiskey gospel We're we're, shedding light on things that people don't really know about, to be honest. Um, right. Just sharing that information. Okay. So, and, and part of your responsibility is, is I'm gathering traveling the world. <laughs> yeah. You know, although that's this past year, year and a half or so, right. it's been a bit tougher. Um, but yeah, that's another huge thing uh, that I enjoy. You know, you meet people from all over the world and, uh, you know, when I was living in Miami, coming back to the Midwest was always a priority for me. And I didn't care what state it was. Mm -hmm. Granted, you know, I'm a hockey guy through and through. So there are some rivalries between us and some other local Midwestern states. But I jumped at the opportunity to come back to the Midwest at any point. Uh, so I always love that. Um, I travel the West Coast a bit. Obviously, we go to Scotland, uh, which is just an absolute beautiful, beautiful country. But yeah, we travel quite a bit. So you've been to Scotland. I have to ask, have you had haggis? Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a guy like, you know, when in Rome, that's, that's, yeah. that's kind of how I look at it. Like Makes I won't, sense. I won't, I won't even think twice, you know, if this is what they do there, let me try this, let me do it. And, and I love haggis. I love it so much. Yeah. You know, um, I love everything they eat over in, in Scotland. You know, they have, <laughs> we joke about some of the things they have. They have like a prawn cocktail form of, uh, chips, uh, or okay. crisps is what they call them. Oh, they it call them really? Yeah. I didn't know there was a difference in Scotland. Okay. Um, I think it's a it's a more UK as a whole, but they prefer the term crisps. Um, so are we talking? Are we talking shit like what? Like actual potato chips would be crisps? Yes. Okay, yes. I because to them fries are chips. Yeah, they, exactly. It's a whole. Yeah, yeah. Changing of the lingo. Now I got yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I had to ask that because it's like, you know, it's like, it's something you're never going to see here unless somebody sneaks yeah. in and makes it for you because it's most of it's not allowed and, you know, to be sold or anything in the country. So, um, 
Well, well, tell me a little bit about uh, Glenn Fittick. Uh, you know what? I, I know that the it's been around since the 1880s. Uh, 1887 specifically is when I saw that the stills first ran. Uh, it's five generations now. Uh, it's still owned by the family, which is quite amazing uh, considering. Uh, what is it like to work with something with roots that deep? Uh, it's it's being a Midwesterner again. I always go back to my roots, of course. But that's that's a, that was a huge point for me. We're family owned, you know. Being a, a good old fashioned humble Midwesterner, I think we believe in stuff like that. You know, you want to. Those are the products that you want to associate yourself with. Somebody who's family owned, five generations, same family name uh, on the back of the bottle since 1887, as you said, and. And it's a really great story. You know, when, when you join the company, uh, they give you a book, The Life and Times of William Grant and Sons. And as romantic as it is, it's a true story. He built that distillery by hand with his seven sons, two daughters, one mason and a wife. You, you can't make that stuff up. And I'm drawn yeah. to stuff like that. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Do you feel any, um, I guess, pressure living up to being the ambassador for a company that's that's so uh, historic at this point in in the spirits game it, it must be a, a, both a sense of pride and an enormous responsibility to live up to uh being able to uh tell the company's tale and sell its you know its it's uh, wares through you know throughout your 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 run. It, it, what does that what does that feel like to you as as being you know the spokesperson I guess for essentially for for the brand? Yeah, Brett, you nailed it again. It's I guess there is pressure. I don't tend to think about that aspect. Right. In fact, I try not to. But there's also an enormous sense of pride. I mean, we are the chosen few. There's currently three ambassadors in the United States right now, and we are the ones that are chosen to go out there. And again, we preach that whiskey gospel, but we're doing it for Glenn Fittick. We're doing it for William Grant, you know, who started this brand with his family. You know, yeah. who knows if he knew it would have lasted as long as it has and, and still being a top whiskey in the world as we are right now. But uh, there's an enormous sense of pride. Uh, but I will tell you, I do often, you always leave a whiskey tasting saying, oh, I wish I would have mentioned that one thing or I would have added yeah. this. But you know you leave every whiskey tasting and every event uh, having having given your all and, and people thank you for it constantly. And, and you know you're doing a great job. So there's definitely an enormous sense of pride. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I noticed that uh, from everything I've read, it's the um, it's the best si selling single malt whiskey in, in the world. And it has cornered kind of the market with it, I think the figure I saw was like something like 35% of the market, which is pretty astounding considering every, you know, especially the last 20 years, everyone's gotten into the spirit game um, yeah. from celebrities. You know, if you're, if you're talking like George Clooney and Pete, Diddy getting into it, you know, their own thing, you know, their, their different things which have nothing to do with whiskey, but uh, still, it's just like everybody wants to get in this right now. Everybody's got something to sell, and to still uh, be that that top dog is pretty impressive. And, and it's also one of the most awarded, correct? Yeah, we are the world's most awarded single malt. Um, we have been for for some time, and, and you're right. Everybody wants a piece of this right now. Everybody wants to get in the spirits game. So to be able to carry that um, forward is is a great honor. For sure. Yeah. What do you what do you think accounts for 
the last 20 years or so, it, it, it seems like a certain, the certain, you know, the younger generation has, um, I, I think there is beginning, you're beginning to notice like articles come up about, um, the, the, the generation, the younger generation, I guess, um, in the excesses of drinking, you know, which obviously I'm sure Glenn Fittick, you know, espouses responsible drinking, um, you know, but, um, you know, what do you make of the fact that, you know, there's a, it's a generational thing almost, it seems where um, spirits have become this thing, you know, you you talk, you know, you think back to the invention of, you know, like bottle service becoming a big Mm -hmm. thing and granted, you know, again, that's not necessarily related to you, but it's just drinking in general has has uh, become more upscale or sellable uh, than it was perhaps before the turn of the century. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, and we're on a constant wheel here, right? Like history continues to repeat itself. Um, so I we've seen that there was a scotch boom in the 90s. And I think we're seeing the resurgence again right now as far as trends go. But uh, more to what you were saying about the generation, and it's kind of a hard part for me to accept that now that you brought that up, Brett, there's, there's generations younger than me that are drinking now that I have to, you know, um, figure out and, and associate with and find out what they're drinking. But um, Glenn Fittick particularly did, uh, we just finished a really awesome study and um, we're studying millennial drinkers and what they like to drink versus what people drank 10 years ago. And and this study, you know, we, we pride ourselves on being a luxury single malt. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a newer ident- identity for us, to be honest. Um, so we're venturing into the luxury. Well, we have always had, you know, older whiskeys and luxury whiskeys, but we are now making that a staple of what we do. So we are finding out, you know, what makes a luxury whiskey and, and what consumers think luxury is. And the main study that we were looking after shows that most consumers, when you ask them what luxury is pertaining to like their grand idea of it, it comes off as very differently than what they think luxury is within their own realm and their own life. So people have two concepts of luxury. And I think that's quite interesting. So we're only going to build on that. And the way that I carry that in my day to day is, um, you know, luxury doesn't have to be, you know, fine dining, white tablecloth, you know, the, the thought you have in your head, it's how do we bring luxury to you? And again, with millennial drinkers, what they're doing now that, you know, maybe Brad, if we're in a similar generation, I think we are, um, what we didn't do is they would rather spend more money, you know, on something that's higher end um, and drink less of it at one time uh, than spend a lot of money on a lower quality. So quality is being sought after by the millennial drinker. And that's what we're providing. I'd say. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that, I think you've got a pretty good point there. I I think um, the rise of the internet, you know, and, and smartphones and being able to access information and also, you know, in my mind, scotch used to be, you know, scotch whiskey used to be a thing, you know, an older, you know, person thing. You know, you'd, you'd see uh, somebody a little bit more uh, of a professional nature leaning towards, you know, uh, a, a more, um, I guess, um, special scotch, you know, as opposed to perhaps like the, you know, the, the stuff you can get for a lot cheaper that's just to get you plowed, I guess, essentially, <laughs> um, you know, but there, there was a set, there was always been a sense of refinement with scotch and with Glenn Fittick and especially. Um, so you're, you're kind of in an interesting age where you're, you're still selling that, that upper level, that, that, that higher end clientele, but also by saying that 
you know, a younger generation is sitting there saying, well, yeah, I may only have one, but I may go and spend whatever the hell, you know, a pour of uh, the high end of Glenfiddich, you know, would be in a bar, which, you know, obviously bars will, you know, compared to what a bottle costs, you know, you can buy on your yeah. own a bar will upsell that significantly because that's where a restaurant or a bar, that's where they make their money. Uh, 100%. Yeah. Especially if you have something rare and like, okay. So I, I'm leading up to grand Corona. I, I do want to ask for the rather, I guess, um, I don't want to say ignorant, but the rather pedestrian person, just tell us what single uh, single malt, you know, whiskey is, uh, as I guess, as succinctly as you you possibly could. Sure. The easiest way to define it is by its name. You know, you start off with the word single, meaning uh, which is very confusing for most people. But single simply means it, all the liquid in the bottle comes from one single distillery. You know, with the American whiskey terms like single cask and single barrel and things like that, people tend to get confused. But with single malt scotch. Single means one distillery. Malt is another step in the process that most American whiskey makers do not do. Bourbon and rye don't get malted. Um, there's now an American single malt that gets malted. So I got to mention that for sure. Uh, so we have malted barley. All of our single malt scotch comes from barley. It has to come from barley and it has to come from uh, malted barley, which is another step in the process. And then scotch simply means it's got to be made with ingredients from Scotland. Outside of the oak that uh, comes from, you know, we get European oak or American oak, um, but everything else, all ingredients, water source, barley, the distillation has to take place, the maturation has to take place all in Scotland. Mm -hmm. So scotch is basically a meaning, it's, it's, a, it's a term for where it's produced more than anything. The whiskey yes. is what it actually is, but scotch whiskey means where it's from. A hundred percent. And in fact, I, depending on who I'm talking to, you know, I love to just call it whiskey. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm a whiskey drinker, but it can get confusing. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. yeah. It took it, it, it. I'm not much of a drinker. Um, and, uh, you know, your, your, uh, folks were kind enough to send me a few little, uh, little samples of stuff. And I, I haven't had them yet because I'm not much of a drinker, but I do plan on, uh, I'm doing a, uh, a nice dinner soon. And I plan on kind of, sneaking those in to uh have with it because what the hell um <laughs> but you know okay so with regards to grand corone mm -hmm. tell me what what is what you know you get, that's what you're mostly here to talk about why why is this so special and and what makes it special so the grand corone is the literal crowning jewel of the glenfiddich grand series which began, and I believe we sent you the sample as well. It started in 2001 with um, our Grand Reserva, which is a 21-year-old single malt that's been finished in uh, American oak that held uh, four-year-old Caribbean rum. Mm. Um, so it started with the Grand Reserva in 2001. Now, 20 years later, we've completed the Grand Series. Um, and when you think about that in general, 20 years of a project, which started before that, because obviously you have to mature whiskey for a certain amount of time. This has been a very long and special process for our malt master, Brian Kinsman. And it started with the Grand Reserva, where we had, uh, you know, whiskey that's been finished in, uh, in uh, Caribbean rum casks. 
And then we went on to the Grand Cru, the 23-year, which was just launched in 2019. And this whiskey uh, is is been matured for 23 years in American and European oak. And then it sees, uh, I believe it's up to six months in French cuvee casks. Uh, if you want to talk about, you know, a, a celebratory whiskey, that's that's definitely got to be in your your list of top celebratory whiskeys right there. And now we finish it with a 26-year-old whiskey. So we have a combined total of 70 years of maturation here. And we finished that with our crowning jewel, the Grand Crown, which was aged 26 years uh, in American oak. And then we finished that for up to two years in cognac casks. And having worked with uh, very closely with cognac for, for five years, it's this is a very special whiskey for many reasons, but the French oak involved in maturing and finishing this whiskey, French oak in general is very porous very wide grain comparatively to American oak or other European oaks. So what it does is it honestly, it aggressively attacks your spirit. Your spirit seeps into those wide pores of the oak and it pulls out oftentimes more oak than it should. So what makes Brian Kinsman such a talented uh, whiskey maker, malt master is the fact that he knows what we call in the industry, the point of elegance, because there is such thing as uh, over oak whiskeys, you know, our generation, but I think, we used to think it was the older, the better, uh, which isn't always the case. There's a, there's a point of elegance and there's a point of perfect maturation. And that's what you have here in the Grand Quran. Yeah. So basically it's an idea that uh, Brian Kinsman, the, the uh, I'm sorry, what was his title? He's our malt master. Malt master. Okay. He'll keep, he'll keep tabs on the taste um, of each run that they're doing to see where it's at so that um, they can, if it, they don't want it to go over and develop too much of that Oak is what you're saying. Correct. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it's a tough job and somebody has got to do it, but he's got to make <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if he's tasting every day or every week, but he's definitely making sure that yeah. that, that whiskey sees just enough Oak. Right. So at the point where he feels like it's, at the exact point is when, uh, I guess what, what happens when it's at that point where it's like, it's ready to go. Do you, do you then take the, oak, the, the Oak barrels and, and put it into another process? Uh, how does that way in the bottle, you just go ahead and start bottling it. Yeah. After maturation, there's most likely water, uh, added to, uh, the whiskey for bottling. And then we go ahead and bottle it. The, another unique point about Glenfiddich is that at that point in the whiskey making process, the water that we use is the same water that we started with to make our whiskey. And that's water from the Robbie Dew Spring in Scotland, which is a natural spring that we are fortunate enough to have exclusive access to for Glenfiddich. That's another thing about, about the history of it is, is building one place, staying in one place, not being bought out by another corporation. They'll just throw whatever the hell in there and change the, the flavor of everything. You're, you're keeping up everything that made the uh, brand what it is by staying family owned and staying in one place. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, the water source is always going to remain the same. The first two stills, which now we have close to 40, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. the first two stills were secondhand stills that were bought at, as a deal in the late 1800s from another distillery. Um, and we still have, we use the exact same shape of those stills. Fun fact about those stills is that they're very short and squatty stills, commonly referred to as onion stills in the industry. 
And that other distillery was parting ways with those stills because they thought they couldn't get any floral or fruity flavors from those specific types of stills. And William Grant had the ingenuity and mindset to say, I know I can do that. And Glenfiddich today is known for our floral and fruity flavor from those same stills that we still use today. Pretty amazing. And, and how, how do you think he was able to do something with those that the other guys just said they couldn't do? I mean, how, how, <laughs> how do you have any idea how that how that came about? You know what, as far as distillation is concerned, and as much as I love whiskey, I still have to get my, uh, I'm studying right now to get another certification that would give me more insight to answer okay. that question. No, but, that's fine. But, I just, um, you know, but it's also, you're asking, you're also asking about, you know, I'm asking a question that maybe, uh, granted, you know, it's a, it's a long history passed down and, and they probably have a lot of documentation, but the fact is that happened when the original guy did it too. So we're talking over a hundred something years ago too. So yeah. You know, the thinking process might not actually be uh, all, you know, I'm, I'm, but then again, it might also be part of the legend too, that that is written down. But I just figured I'd ask, cause it, it's just something that threw into my head. Um, what are your, what are the company's hopes for Grand Corona? Uh, what, what kind of, what kind of output are they doing? Um, you know, um, just, w just tell me a little bit about what, what the actual uh, product uh output is looking like right now yeah so as far as uh grand crown grand crown is again the completion of the grand series and these three whiskeys are very unique and they're very tailored to um you know consumers enjoying them at, at different points of the night or different you know events and things like that grand reserva in my opinion is very much uh, uh an escape uh whiskey or a vacation it's it, it takes you to that place um you know, here in Chicago, we've got at least two solid months of just uh, not so fun weather. And, um, you know, I might reach for a Grand Reserva if I want to get away, if I want to have that escape. The Grand Cru is very much a celebration. <clears throat> we have, you know, obviously, you know, graduation, people, uh, kids graduating from college and things like that. Grand Cru is a great celebration, a birthday, an event like that. And then the Grand Crown, the crowning jewel, is the epitome of decadence and luxury the way I like to picture it is, you know, almost like what you said you might be doing, Brett, is like a very nice dinner party. Um, you know, when I picture Grand Crown, I, honestly, and this is just a fantasy, but it, I, I picture like 16th century, <laughs> like, like, uh, like, you know, guy, girls and women in gowns and things like that. It's, it's, it's very decadent and luxurious whiskey, and it should be held in, at the, in the highest regard at the, the best occasions. So you'd say this is something that you you would hold on to for very special occasions uh, in particular me personally brett i mean right. i'm a i'm a well, I mean, I, I guess, kind of guy <laughs> right and also i mean i mean is that the intention that you're really selling this as a luxury item in this yeah. one in particular above the other ones that you did this is this is the king of the the um the grand run basically 100% and it is that whiskey and that is exactly how we're marketing it you know, this is that again. I'll say it again. Crowning jewel is the the term we've we've come up with, and and that's what this is. It's definitely for those events. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, what what else is going on with with Glenfiddich? I mean, is there something else on the horizon that you can tease? Uh, <laughs> you know, what what other things do, might we want to know about about Glenfiddich right now? 
Um, there's nothing that I think we can tease just yet on the horizon. Definitely. I mean, this was something that was coming again, coming to fruition for 20 years. So this is our main focus, uh, for Glenn Fittick right now. And, and in fact, you know, it, it's something that, uh, this was being teased since I joined the company, you know, a few years back. So right, this is right. something we've been waiting for. Uh, it's finally here. In fact, it's just here in Chicago this month. And, you know, it's been launched in the U.S. officially as of August, but um, it should roll out in other states over the next month or two, hopefully. But this is what we're we're celebrating. So basically for Grand Caron right now, where where can people mostly get it? Is it through the Glenfiddich website or can they are there certain uh, locations say within Chicago. Yeah. I mean, like, like any, like anything else during these crazy times, I'd say if you have a local liquor store, give them a call ahead of time to make sure you never know. And and I don't want anyone wasting a trip, but I, I definitely would recommend going to Drizzly for all Glenfiddich products. Uh, 100%. That's the easiest way, um, to get any Glenfiddich products. Okay. And it's Drizzly. Drizzly. Yeah. www.drizzly.com. Okay, great. All right. Um, well, you know, I, I think we covered, uh, the full gamut. Is there anything you feel like we're missing, uh, in our discussion? (laughs) I'd say no, not at all. It's been an absolute pleasure, Brett. I just say, you know, to those out there who are going to purchase Glenfiddich drink responsibly, enjoy the grand series. Um, and yeah, just hope everybody enjoys it. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, uh, Kevin, I really appreciate you taking the time today. It was a pleasure talking to you and, and it was also a pleasure as somebody that's uh, still considers themselves a novice in terms of drinking, um, it's always nice to learn something new. And I feel like I've learned a lot today about uh, Scotch and particularly about Glenn Fittick and, and, and yourself. So thank you very much. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Brett. I appreciate it. Thanks for having All me. All right. You have a good day. You too. Cheers. All right. Bye.